2: Back week on Carrick and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And we look back at our last decade, 2010 through 2019, and head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. James Laurinaitis actually got his start doing radio shows right here in this studio. He's getting ready now for Bishop and Laurinaitis on 97.1 The Fan in Columbus, Ohio. But before his show, James is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How are you doing?
0: Uh, good morning, man. I tell you what, hearing your voice is like, it's like a warm blanket. You know, it takes me <laughs> back to driving in St. Louis through the streets of Crevecore and Clayton, listening back then to the fast lane. Uh, man, it's good memories.
2: Uh, James, it's great to hear your voice. And for, first of all, we got to ask how radio is going for you. I, I always knew that you were going to be a good media guy, but how is doing talk radio for you?
0: It's great. You know, it's funny. I, I when I was coming back to Columbus from Nashville, I lived in Nashville for about eighteen months, and um, this opportunity came open. It was going to be a two-hour show, ten to noon. Um, I was doing it with a guy that had I had known in the the market before, um, and he was kind of coming back to Columbus to get back with the, the station. I was I was a little anxious. I didn't know what to expect um, with it. Uh, for so many years, you know, you try to be Mr. Political and toe the line a little bit, and kind of. Um, never say anything too outlandish. You don't want to be board material. And then, <laughs> as you know, in the radio business, it's like, no, we want your opinion. And you're like, okay. Um, so it's been a little different. It's, it's gone from two hours to three hours, and it's been very successful. So I'm happy with it. I will say, though, you know, it's so different from St. Louis, where I'm sure right now is a great time because the Cardinals and, and what that means to, to St. Louis and, and Major League Baseball in general. But here – you are know, split between Reds, Indians. Uh, do people really care about baseball in Columbus? Not a whole lot. So a lot of Buckeye recruiting. Um, the Columbus Blue Jackets have a lot of turnover. They're kind of in a rebuild. So it can get a little, uh, you know, you got to start making those creative lists once you get to this time of the year right. and uh, <laughs> random topics.
3: Well, James, I'm sure you guys have been talking a lot about the changes in college football, especially with name, image, and likeness. That's, I'm sure, a topic that's very popular in Columbus right now. What are your thoughts on that? As somebody that played for a very, very strong program and obviously was a very decorated college um, athlete, I'm sure that that's something that you would have liked to have when you were in college.
0: Yeah, you know, Michelle, it's funny because when I was in school, I get this question a bunch. It's like, hey, did you really, you know, look around and see the 33 jerseys and think, gosh, I should have a cut of that? And to be honest, I never did. I I, I thought it was just awesome. Uh, I thought it was really cool that I was in a video game. Um, I never I never put my name into the Ed O'Bannon you know pool of money to go to players. I didn't, didn't really register with me that. Um, I, I just to be honest, I was living such a dream world as far as being able to play college football in general and have a scholarship and to do it. I I didn't really – now I'm all for these guys being able to capitalize because I I also know being in that locker room how much it will help a lot of players. Um, And it's not, we all want to talk about, you know, Arch Manning in a couple years, right? That's an obvious one where you're like, gosh, he could be the first million-dollar football player in college because of obviously the name and the way they'll market him and all that. But to be honest, it's the guys that want to sell, you know, T-shirts, the guys that want to put out a camp and get money for it. Uh, That anything will help for a lot of these players, and so I'm for it. Although, as you guys know, it's a wild west right now. There is no overarching rule. You got LSU doing some rules, Ohio State, Penn State has their own. It's the wild west. And Mark Emmert just said, "You know what? You guys figure it out. Go ahead."
2: (laughs) Yeah, great. James Laurinaitis with us on 101 ESPN, and James, you're drafted here in the second round in '09, and you'd been playing at a successful program. Did you have any idea what you were walking into? As it turns out, when you got drafted by the Rams,
0: no, I had no clue. Um, my my awareness of St. Louis was uh, Nelly, St. <laughs> Lunatics, the Arch, obviously the sports teams. But as far as like what was happening with the Rams, um, I hadn't realized how far it had fallen since the Greatest Show Days. Because um, I grew up a Vikings fan in Minnesota, so I remember. St. Louis beating the Vikings in the playoffs, it felt like over and over, um, and being so frustrated. And I didn't realize how far had had fallen from that. Um, so when I got drafted, it was kind of like I was just so excited that some organization believed in me. I had no actual awareness of what the actual situation was going to be, if that made sense. I didn't know, you know, the 15 and 65 and all. I didn't realize all that. It was super awesome to be believed in by an organization. I was happy to be going to a defensive head coach and uh, happy to be, you know, with Chris Long, who I had gotten to know a little bit through kind of the college football award circuit.
3: Well, James, then you get here and you do realize how far the organization had fallen. What was that like for you as a competitor? Randy mentioned you probably were on great teams your entire life. You were used to winning. You were used to being a player that got a lot of accolades. And then you come to a situation where week after week, it just is obstacle after obstacle. But as a competitor, what was that like for you? Look,
0: playing pro football was such a dream, Michelle, that I just, you know, and it, the record hurt, obviously, because you're so competitive, right? And it was really hard to go from somewhere where you lost nine times in four years to, I think, 15 games a year, right? So it was really tough. Um, but if you love football, then you love the process. And I, I loved working out. I loved the challenge of, like, hey, how can I be a part of the solution here and not part of the problem? And there was a lot of problems, a lot of things ironed out. Um, some of them, a lot of them outside of any player's control, but I just thought, how can I go to work every single day, which didn't feel like work, by the way. It was just it was fun, you know. So, like, how do I show up and try to be just the example with actions that I want my teammates to follow and hopefully that the organization would put their trust in long term. Um, and and, and it's, what's funny is that uh, our guy, Bernie Miklas, actually gave me uh, – some motivation because so I think when I got drafted, he put some something in his bits about Ray Malaluka was still available. And I was like, dang it, man. Like, come on. So I kept that little <laughs> snippet in my locker from my rookie year. Well, oh,
2: that's awesome. I, I had no idea. And that, that, that's a great motivator. Hey, James, did. Uh, did the discussion, and we were having it here on the radio, it was in the post-dispatch, did the discussion of the possibility of a move from 2012 on, from the time Jeff Fisher got hired, was that a discussion in the locker room that ever became a distraction?
0: Uh, I don't think it became a distraction. I think it was, uh, thankfully for, for that job for the players, is it is such a year-to-year business that... The whole idea of like, oh, the team could be moving in the future. It could be three or four years. If you're like, man, I'm just trying to make the squad this year. I'm trying to be a part of this year's team. Um, it got it got distracting when you started seeing the relocation meetings and all that happening. Right, the last year there, um, and you're like, my goodness, you have people from the NFL in. You see Mr. Peacock's plans and all that. And I've been following your tweets about it and um about kind of the lawsuit going on and shared it on our show because we had a unique situation here in columbus with the columbus crew where right. the owner wanted to move the columbus crew to austin the the fans got together rallied and then the the legislators the legislators got involved and basically there's a clause here in, in their local government about how you can't take a team you know i don't know all the specifics but essentially they saved the team And then Mr. Haslam comes in, and now as I drive into work right now, I'm looking at the new crew stadium right here, lower.com field. And it's like it's going to be an awesome 30 for 30 someday. And so, talking about that and how scared those fans were, it's like I have a unique perspective. I'm like, I lived it. I lived it. I lived seeing, and I still wonder about all the people that worked at the Dome, the people that worked at Rams Park that, you know, didn't go with. Um, I think about them, you know, every once in a while and say, man, I wonder what everybody's up to. And to be honest, it's it's tough because my wife and I have talked about if the Rams were still there, are we still living in St. Louis? Are we? Um, am I trying to work for the organization? You know, because it's in St. Louis and it's not all the way out in Los Angeles. Um, there's a whole lot of what ifs with it. You know, and I'm sure a lot of heck. I'm sure every. St. Louis Rams fan goes through them as well.
2: Right. We each have one more question. I want to ask you this. Was there a point whether it was when Sam got drafted number one or when Jeff Fisher got hired, was there ever a point where you started a year where you thought, we're going to be really good. We might be a playoff team.
0: Uh, when Sam got drafted and after the preseason game against the Patriots where I think he had three touchdowns in the first half, I was like, oh yeah, we got our guy. We got our guy. And, um, and I thought and there's still players that I've played with, and I'll talk to Chris Long about this. Um, I think Cortland Finnegan will go to his grave saying this. Like, Sam Bradford, in a seven on seven period, even after the injuries, my man, the most accurate, lethal guy with an arm. Like, it's, it's, talk about just pure arm talent. I mean, I, and I, I played with Drew, and, you uh, know, I'll grant it, it was later on in Drew, and Drew's preparation was something else. I mean, he beat you with his mind, uh, which was incredible. But, Sam's pure arm talent, I'd take it up against anybody. And so after that preseason game, his rookie year, up in New England, I was like, okay, I think we're going to be pretty good. Um, And then everything from there, like the reason why he always had hope in the offseason, even after bad records, was because, well, if Sam stays healthy, right, if Sam's healthy. um, And unfortunately, just, gosh, so many freak injuries and body just fell apart on my man.
3: Yeah, James, I think that's always going to be on the Mount Rushmore of what ifs for St. Louis yeah. sports fans, because you're right. He had so much talent. Um, you mentioned Chris Long and you mentioned Cortland Finnegan. So I wanted to bring this up as the last question. We spoke to Chris, I don't know, I think two or three weeks ago. And we were we were going down memory lane like we are with you. And one of the things that got brought up was how many fun personalities were on your teams. And Chris brought up the prank wars that you guys used to have. And he was telling us oh, gosh. About, about some <laughs> of the pranks and some of them we hadn't even heard of in the media. So I wanted to ask you, give us your favorite prank that was ever executed at Rams Park.
0: Well, I'm not, I don't want to talk about the crickets one where they got my car. (laughs) Um, The best part. So the worst part is like, it's a long day at camp. This is the kind of guy Chris is. So it's a long day at camp. And I'm like, okay, I'm going out to get my car, go home. And all of a sudden, I'm like, where's my car? And so there's a couple, you know, guys hanging out and they're just all laughing. They get so funny. And I'm like, okay, guys. Uh, so then I walk into the indoor. The cheerleaders are practicing. And my, my car is parked, wrapped in saran wrap at the end of the practice field. <laughs> and so I go over there. I go over there. And, uh, and I uh, you know cut through all the saran wrap and all that. And then all these packaging peanuts fall out. And I'm like, very funny. And, I, and at this point, I'm just mad. But I'm like, I feel bad for guys at the facility about to clean this. Because I'm not cleaning all the packaging peanuts up. <laughs> I didn't do this. So I'm carrying them all out. And then I discovered there's, like, thousands of crickets in my car. Now, the not-so-funny thing is, is that the crickets crawled in the A.C. vents and died. So it smelled like fish bait in my car. I had to turn it in. And, it, and Lord help them, there's somebody in Columbus driving that car right now. I'm thinking, what the hell is that smell? It's dead crickets. So, anyway, I sold the car. Um, that's one of my favorite. Cortland Finnegan got us one time, too, where we – the, the DBs were stealing our snacks. And so I had our rookies, you know, Darren Bates and Ray Ray and Tree, I had them go jump their rookies, you know, Rodney and them. And basically it was, it was something funny where they jumped them and took their shoes and threw them out of the hallway in the middle of meetings. And uh, so what's Cortland doing? He, he goes over the top. And all of a sudden during walkthrough, we see a, a moving truck with all of the LBs' cars on it. And he parks across, you know, we're on the fields and you can see that open parking lot across. He pulls up during walkthrough. We look over and we're like, damn it. So he got all of our cars and then told the guy to go take a break. So it's like Saturday after walkthrough. No one has keys. We can't get our cars. We're stuck. (laughs) Man. (laughs) <laughs> we had fun. We
2: didn't win a lot, but we had some fun. <laughs> Epic, James Knight, It is so good to hear your voice and so good to hear some of these stories. It's always great to talk to you, and uh, we'll, we don't do it enough. We need to get together more often. But congratulations on the way things are going in radio, and uh, I, I guess we know the Buckeyes are going to be great, right? Ryan Day is like recruiting every single great <laughs> recruit in the country. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's incredible. It's a, no one thought he could go above Urban, and it seems like the difference now is like finally Ohio State's getting NFL quarterbacks which is incredible. So, um, yeah, it's, things are good in Columbus. Good.
2: Have a great weekend. Thanks for your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Thank you. That is James Laurinaitis with us on 101 ESPN.
1: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama.
0: Top tech companies like Intel have a secret to their success. They get the best talent, reliable infrastructure, and save on costs by expanding in Ohio, the new Silicon Heartland. Learn how your business can succeed in Ohio. Visit successinohio.com.